Day 45. Today actually felt like quite a normal day. Linda was back in the office looking refreshed after our holidays out east and was on Zoom looking energised by the encouragements of camp at Big Clear Lake. The database project team led by that hard-working and enthusiastic Dan and Doug met some of the leadership team looking enthusiastic as they demonstrated the potential new CRM. And Calvin came to stay the night, looking in a bit of discomfort, having fallen off a ladder yesterday. I was deeply touched by the strength of his empathy that extended to fashioning a sympathetic injury of his own. When I was talking about leading with a limp the other day, I meant it figuratively, not literally. Today, I'm thankful for great colleagues. I'm grateful for a day where the focus has been on the future. I'm thankful for having our first overnight guest since the pandemic began. I'm also grateful for having dinner in the back garden for the first time since my surgery. A little bit of normal is a definite blessing. Life under usual circumstances is a lot of normal punctuated by some exceptions. The most exceptional being births, deaths and weddings, followed by birthdays, anniversaries, new beginnings, sporting or cultural celebrations and holidays. Psalm 45 is another by the sons of Korah and is additionally described as a wedding song. I enjoy a wedding and I'm sad to have missed some during COVID. We're very much looking forward to a family wedding in New Zealand next year. I'm not sure what the music will be, but it'll probably include some songs of praise in the church and some Scottish music to dance to at the reception. Apparently, one of the most popular wedding songs of the last few years has been A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. Heart beats fast, colours and promises, how to be brave, how can I love when I am afraid to fall? But watching you stand alone, all of my doubt suddenly goes away somehow. One step closer. I have died every day waiting for you. Darling, don't be afraid. I have loved you for a thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. Sounds better to music. I guess its popularity is to do with capturing the emotion of anticipation and the sense of a pivotal moment when fear and doubt is displaced by love. The wedding psalm is also quite emotional. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skilful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendour and majesty. In your majesty ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last for ever and ever, 
A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia, from palaces adorned with ivory. The music of the strings makes you glad. Some Jewish scholars have long understood this psalm to be a prophecy about the promised Messiah. Christians also believe the reference to the one who is fairer than the sons of men, with grace poured upon his lips, that God has blessed forever, is the predicted Saviour. Recognising that this promise finds fulfilment in Jesus gives a different perspective on this wedding song. In most weddings, the centre of attention is definitely the bride, although the mothers of the bride and groom and the bridesmaids share, but obviously never steal some of the limelight. Here, the focus is very much on the groom. The bride does not appear until later in the song. The bridegroom is anointed with grace and blessed by God forever. He is mighty with sword, clothed in splendour and rides out in majesty. This is a heroic image of a soldier, but he contends for truth, humility and justice. Arrows pierce his enemies and nations fall beneath his feet. A righteous kingdom will be established forever. Justice and righteousness will mark this rule. He is anointed with the oil of joy and his robes are fragrant with myrrh, aloes and cassia. There will be another king who will be presented with myrrh at his birth and whose body will be anointed with myrrh and aloes before being placed in a tomb. Through these bitter tears will come the joy of resurrection and a new and certain hope. This is a love song about a king, but the hyperbole goes beyond poetry to prophecy. It is a description that goes beyond what any human king could be or do. It points to the king of kings. C.S. Lewis, commenting on this psalm, wrote, The birth of Christ is the arrival of the great warrior and the great king, also of the lover, the bridegroom, whose beauty surpasses that of man. But not only the bridegroom as the lover, the desired, the bridegroom also who makes fruitful, the father of children still to be begotten and born. Lewis is picking up on something which is a motif in the New Testament. John quotes John the Baptist explaining that he is not the Messiah, but is waiting as a friend at a wedding waits for the bridegroom and listens for his voice. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Jesus in Matthew uses the same image to describe himself. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? 
The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. And in Revelation, the great wedding takes place of the Lamb and his bride, or Jesus and his church. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. In the psalm, the bride is adorned, brought in, presented to the king and led in with joy and gladness. So it is in this wedding supper. Often when a wedding has been planned, even before the invitations, a save the date message will be emailed or sent out. The actual invitation to a wedding expresses closeness, connection and appreciation. Sometimes I've been invited to a part of a wedding, the service or cake afterwards or an evening kelly. At the wedding feast of the Lamb, the invitation is to the whole thing as honoured guests. The best thing is that the celebrations of that union go on. In another popular song at weddings, Ed Sheehan sings in Thinking Out Loud, When your legs don't work like they used to before, and I can't sweep you off of your feet, will your mouth still remember the taste of my love? Will your eyes still smile from your cheeks? And darling, I will be loving you till we're 70. 70 is apparently the new 64, as it's a six-year upgrade on the Beatles' aspirations. Pose the question, will you still need me? Will you still feed me? when I'm 64. The last stanza of a thousand years takes it to a less realistic horizon. Time has brought your heart to me, and I have loved you for a thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. But the words of Amazing Grace blow all these timescales out of the water. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Married or single, old or young, rich or poor, healthy or sick, better or worse, there is something for us all to look forward to. It's not the wedding of the year, it's the wedding of weddings. We don't get a save the date, so the time of preparation always needs to be now. I hope to see you there.